Revelation chapter 2, we're so thankful for our peers who faithfully teach our kids the Bible each week systematically, step by step, through the scriptures. So thankful for their faithfulness and their um, diligence to prepare well week in and week out to lead that awesome children's program. This morning we're talking about faithfulness. And I thought before I really told you how to stay faithful, I should tell you why you want to stay faithful. And before I tell you why you want to stay faithful, I should tell you what it is. So uh, think of your life like a tree, and think of the roots as what you believe, and this is like below the line is what you believe, and then above the ground line is what people can see, and this is what you do. So you can't really see what people do, or what people, I'm sorry, you can't really see what people believe apart from what they do, and by what they do, you can make deductions about what they believe. So, the Bible says a lot about having faith. It is by faith that you are saved, okay? So, it's what you believe that saves you. You believe that Jesus is Lord. This is like below the line. You can't really see it except that it does come out in how people live and how they act and how they treat other people and how, what they say and what they do about God. So, faithfulness is an above-the-line issue. It's how your faith works itself out in daily life. It is an outworking of what you believe. Our faith is evident in our faithfulness. So this is, what the text we're going to see is a church that is called to be faithful, to hold the line in their faith. Now why would they want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Well, because there's a temptation to be unfaithful. Sometimes we're really tempted to be unfaithful. I don't think anybody here wants to be unfaithful. There's a temptation to be unfaithful when things aren't fair. When we're like, this is not working, this is not right, I don't like this, I'm just going to quit. Nobody likes to play a game that isn't fair. Nobody likes to play a game that's rigged. And the church that we're going to see today, they're going through life, and it wasn't fair. And some of you have gone through life circumstances that aren't fair. I might forget to say it later, so I'm going to say it now, and then hopefully again later. This church that we're going to look at today was one of the most faithful churches out of the seven. There's only two that are not told to repent. This is one of them. The other one is Philadelphia. This is an extremely faithful church. But look, they were suffering maybe the most. And you're like, I mean, I would be like, just Nathan would be like, this is not fair. And when this is not fair, you can be tempted to lose your faith. Because you're like, I shouldn't be suffering. Why am I suffering like this? Okay, so we're going to talk about how to be faithful when things aren't fair. When you're like, this is not, I don't deserve this. We're going to talk about how to keep your faith when you're tempted. So this is a church that is going into a season. They have been through a hard season. They're going into an even harder season. That might be where some of you are. You're like, you've been through a hard season, and it's about to get worse. You don't know it yet, but it's about to get worse. 
And if it does, this is how to hold on to your faith. Like, this is how to stay consistent with what you believe. This is how to be a person of integrity whose life continues to line up with what they say they believe. Now, if you do this, if you are faithful when things aren't fair, and if you're faithful through the temptation, there is an incredible reward waiting for you that Jesus will talk about today. An incredible reward called a crown of life. So this is, this is what faithfulness is. It is living consistency, consistently with what you believe. It's why you want to do it, so that you can hold the line when things are not right, when, when you're being wrongly persecuted, when you're suffering and you don't deserve it, when you're really, really tempted, and so that you get the reward. Before we jump in, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would meet each one where they are. I don't know what they're suffering, what each one might be suffering from, what each one might be being tempted or tested with, but Lord, you do. And Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, and that you would talk over me while I talk to them. I pray these things in Jesus' name, for your glory and our sake. Amen. So, Revelation chapter 2, before we, before we jump in, just a reminder, we're working through a series called Conquer. And in this, this, we called it Conquer because each of the church, each of the churches in this series are made a promise if they conquer. And you conquer by staying faithful all the way to the end. This is a church that looks for all the world like it's being conquered. But Christ will say to it, that's not true, that's not true at all. You guys are winning and doing awesome. So watch for that as we go and think about how you could conquer through faithfulness. Here we go. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write. So after the message last week, I had remarked during the message that Ephesus is a real place and you can go there today. I had a couple of you say, I've been to Ephesus. And I bet a couple of you have been to um, ancient Smyrna, and I think it goes by a different name now. It's, it's a real city that you can go to today and see the ruins. In fact, I'm just going to take a risk. Has anybody been to these ruins? Okay, we've got a couple back there. Anybody over here? No? A couple of us have been there. So this is a real place. You can go there today. And Jesus writes this to this church. The words of the first and the last... So in each, each, to each church, Jesus describes himself in words that he has already used in Revelation chapter 1, and it pertains to each church in a specific way. So to people that are really, really suffering, I'll talk about later how these words apply. So this church is really, really suffering, and it really helps them to know, and it might help you to know if you're really, really suffering, that Jesus is the first and the last who died and came to life. He says to them, I know. Now, Jesus will say this to all seven churches. So this is really important, that he knows what you're going through. So he says, I know your tribulation. The word tribulation means like being crushed, like being in, like when the ancient wine press, when they put the grapes in there, and then they put the stone on top of the grapes, and then they turn it and crush the grapes. Like, that's this word. I know how you're being crushed. 
Is that, is that any, can you identify with being crushed at all? He says, I know your tribulation. I know how you're getting crushed. I know what you're carrying. And your poverty. So they're, they're in poverty because they're being persecuted. But he says, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. I know what they're saying about you. And I know why they're saying it. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. That is such a rough thing to say, isn't it? Like, do not fear. It won't be as bad as you think. Nope, that's not what he said. Do not fear. You probably won't suffer. Nope, that's not what he said. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. So people wonder about what the ten days means. Is that like ten literal 24-hour periods? Or is that like a metaphor for you know, kind of a long time, not as... Not as long as 40 days, but shorter than three and a half. Those are both like numbers that are used quite often in the Bible. Longer than seven, but not 40. Like, what is that? Well, here's the only thing I can say for sure. The time of tribulation and testing will end. And God knows when it's going to end. I know that. I know it's not forever. And this is, this is what Jesus is saying. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. For ten days you are really, really, really going to suffer. But, but I know when it's going to start and I know when it's going to end and it's going to end. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the, and then the next word is crown of life. So don't think diadem, don't think like the big giant golden crown. Think Victor's laurel wreath. So think of like the Greek stadiums where there's a whole bunch of people packed into the huge Greek stadiums, and there's a bunch of athletes down there. And one of them wins a hard-fought race, and the whole, the whole stadium erupts in applause, and they take the laurel wreath, and they crown the victor. This is a victor's crown. So think of this in terms of Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is he's, uh, one of the first, we think, deacons of the church. He's being martyred for the faith, and he is... Uh, being stoned to death. And so we've got a picture of a stone up here, Gustav Dor. And imagine him dying, holding on to his faith. And it says that he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And if our Lord is standing, probably all of heaven is standing and, and watching Stephen die. And as Stephen dies, you can just imagine with me him entering into glory. And just, I mean, just imagine the standing round of applause he gets as he enters glory. And then as he's 
crowned with the crown of life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And this is the language that Jesus is using to this church. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There is a certain reward for withstanding persecution. He says, I know how you're being crushed. I know how you're poor. And I know what they're saying about you. This, and it's going to get worse. You're going to be thrown into prison for 10 days. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Okay, so what's the second death? In Revelation chapter 20, we read, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of of fire. Jesus is saying, if you withhold, if you stay faithful to the end, you don't have anything to be afraid of when it comes to the lake of fire. Cheyenne would tell you that um, most of her life she questioned her salvation, like prayed the sinner's prayer over and over and over and over and over again. And some of you maybe do that. You pray, God, please save me, because you weren't for sure that you were sincere the first time or the hundredth time. But she would also tell you that when she held on to her faith after justice died, after that, she knew she was saved. After that, she didn't have to pray that prayer anymore. She's like, okay, I know I believe this now. They didn't walk away. And maybe you've been through something like that and, and you're like, I've held on to my faith and now I know it's real. I know my faith is solid now. So, to be faithful, to live the consistent life, what does Jesus tell the church about himself? Okay, so these are the things to remember so that you can be faithful, so that you can live the consistent life, a life where your faith lines up with your works, so you, that you are faithful. What, is, what are the three truths that Jesus tells them about himself? Well, number one, he tells them that he knows. He says, look, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. Does that help you? Does it help you to know that he knows? Does it help you? Like, he says, look, I know, I know why you're getting crushed. I know why they've singled you out to pick on you. I know why they've singled you out to stop giving you their business. I know why they've singled you out for slander. Like, I know why. I know why they're after you. Does it help you to know that he knows? Like Jesus is saying, I know how you're being crushed, and believe me, I'm keeping track. You're storing up rewards in heaven. He's saying, I know what you're suffering financially. I know how you're suffering financially for your faith, and I'm keeping account. 
That's the implication. I know what they're saying about you, and I know what you've lost in terms of your social capital and your reputation for being a Christian. And believe me, you're storing up treasures in heaven. I know. I know where you are, and I know what you're going through. Does that help? I think it helps to know that he knows, and know that he sees, and know that he cares. Look, wherever you are, wherever you're, whatever you're going through, he knows, he sees, and he cares. Jesus, to this church that is really going through it, that's suffering, just, just suffering, even though they're faithful and they don't deserve it, he says, I know. I know. Then he says, And some of you, you're about to go to prison. So I'm in verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested. For 10 days you will have tribulation. How does that help us? Well, I think it helps us because we know that Jesus was tested by Satan too. So in Matthew chapter 4, as I was doing my devotions this week and just read this verse, and I was like, I can't believe that. In Matthew chapter 4, we read that the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested by the devil for 40 days. Like, that's the same thing. The same thing that's going to happen to this church, you're going to be thrown into prison to be tested by the devil, happened to Jesus, you went out in the wilderness to be tested by the devil. So, like, if this church is tested by the devil in prison, and Jesus was tested by the devil in the wilderness, where is it that you might be tested by the devil? I think, man, the hallways of the middle school... Would that be a place to be tested by the devil? The locker rooms in high school, that'd be a place to be tested by the devil? The classrooms in college, would that be a place to be tested by the devil? The postpartum, after the birth of a kid, that's real. That's a place to be tempted by the devil. The postpartum after your wife gives birth to the kid and you're like trying to figure it out, that's a place to be tempted by the devil. Your first real job and the first time work seems like it's taking over your life, that's a time to be tested by the devil. The first time your kids really suffer, the first time your kids really rebel, the tenth time your kids really rebel, the time that you find out they're lying to you, or the, the time that you go through something really, really hard at church. Like, you are know, like, church should not be like this. Church should be safe. That's a time to be tested by the devil. When you retire and everything changes and your identity changes and your relationships change and when there's a prolonged illness and they don't get better and you don't get better. When there's a death 
When are you tempted by the devil? See, there's, there's some clubs you don't want to be part of. There's the, I know what it is to lose a parent club. There's the, I know what it is to lose a child club. There's the, I know what it is to lose a spouse club. There's some clubs that you don't want to be part of. Listen. Jesus is in the tested by the devil club with you. He knows what it is to be tested. And I know you don't believe that, or some of you might not believe that because you're thinking, well, he's God, he's not tempted. That's not what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, For because he himself, listen, listen, has suffered when tempted. The word tempted and tested is the same. In the Greek, it's the same. It's translated different, so we can maybe understand it differently, but it's the same Greek word. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. Like, there is just kind of tempted, and there's suffering when you're tempted. And he was suffered when he was tested, suffered when he was tempted. And the reason I'm saying this is he understands how you are being tested. He understands what it is to be in middle school. He understands what it is to have your spouse not functioning. He understands what it is for your parents to need you to be their parent. Like, he understands. He understands. For because he has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There are some people that when you're going through stuff, they really don't understand. They want to help, but they just can't because they don't understand. Jesus is not one of those. Jesus says, I understand. I am able to help because I have suffered under temptation too. So like when you are really suffering and really being tempted and really being pulled in, a, in the wrong direction, here's what I'm asking you to remember. I'm asking you to remember that Jesus understands, that he's been there too, that you would go to him for help. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says that Jesus was led out to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 reminds us that he is able to help us. He is able because he understands. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Like he understands. He was tempted in the same way. So he is able to help, chapter 2, verse 18, and he understands, chapter 4, verse 15. He is able to help, and he understands. So I'm going to ask you this, and I'd like you to just kind of just think it. What could you go through that would cause you to lose your faith? 
losing your faith would lead to unfaithfulness? What could you go through that would lead you to lose your faith? What these verses are saying is that Jesus understands and he is able to help. Would you go to him? Would you go to him and say, Jesus, I need you to help. Keep me faithful. Keep me faithful. He knows what you're going through and he understands. He's part of that club. Now, if we know this and if we stand firm when we're being tested or tempted, the promise is that we will receive the crown of life. The promise is that he will reward us. I mean, this is verse 11. Verse 11, which reads, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You'll receive the crown of life in verse 10, and you won't have to fear the second death. So, so what we must remember about Jesus, though, is that he is the one that can keep these promises. He can keep these promises. So remember who has made the promise. This is why Jesus begins what he's going to say to this church with, I am the first and the last. Like he's reminding them, going back to the first chapter, going back to the first chapter, he's reminding them, look, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This will be repeated at the end of the book too. And he's saying, look, history began with me creating everything and history will end with new creation and in between, I reign over all of it. He is the one that reigns supreme over all of it and nothing happens but by his decree. I mean, he, he allows what happens to happen. And he says to them, I am the first and the last and the one who died and is alive, the one who came back to life, the one that lives forevermore. Like, he is the living one. He says, I went down into death, and I came back out again alive on the other side. I can keep this premise. I can help you through. If you die, I can resurrect you because I am resurrected. He is the one that went down into the grave in weakness and came out in power. He is the one that came down into the grave in dishonor and came out in glory. He is the one that went down as dead as a doornail and came out alive forevermore. And he can keep his promise to you, whatever you're going through. So the question is, the question is, what truth will help you be faithful this week. Truth that we covered this week. So when things are really, really not right, like you don't deserve what you're going through. Like, I, like you'd be telling yourself, like I, I have tried to be faithful, I have tried to obey, and things keep going wrong. Or I'm being persecuted for my faith. And things, 
And you might lose, you'd be tempted to lose your faith over this, and you'd need to remember, he knows what you're going through. He is keeping score. He is keeping account. You're storing up treasures in heaven. Like, what, what is the truth of? Is it that he knows? Is it that he's in the club with you? Like, he, he had, understands what you're going through? He was tempted by the devil, too, in the wilderness? He, he knows? He can sympathize? He understands, and he's willing to help? Is that the truth that will help you when you are being tested this week? Or is it that there is a reward on the other side of this and he is the living one who is able to give us the reward? Whatever you're going through, don't lose your faith. Stay faithful because he is faithful to you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you help us hold on to our faith this week. Lord, that you would help us live with integrity this week. That you would help us love you and obey you in all things this week. Lord, do this because you love us. Do this because you're helping bring to mind the truth that we need to remember about you. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.